In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along to the programme and our email that's up and running and is open 24-7 at corktoday at c103.ie. And listening to Barry on the news this morning, remembering the late Ashleen Murphy and indeed all of the papers today carrying photographs of Ashleen Murphy on this, the 12th of January, her anniversary. And I actually had to do a double take when I was this morning when I was reflecting on, on you know listening to the news and you know what was coming up in the news for today and there was a lot of talk about Ashley Murphy I instantly thought it was her first anniversary and it's actually her second it's and you just think of the family the two years of absolute pain that they have gone through and Barry on the news this morning saying that there's a, a memorial mass uh, for the family this morning but a number of the papers are reporting on the fact that hundreds of people actually gathered yesterday to remember Ashley members of the local community along with her family and her wide wide circle of friends they attended a special memorial mass at St Bridget's Church in Mount Boulis in uh, County Offaly and seemingly it, the church was packed to the rafters so it was standing room only and there was a large crowd that actually spilled out onto the street so many people wanted to uh, attend and I suppose for the family a, a large attendance like that on the eve of her second anniversary just really uh, shows uh, it serves as a as another illustration of the esteem in which Ashley Murphy was held and obviously that massive sadness that has accompanied uh, her loss. It could also be considered as well as Joe's support for Ashley's family, Ray, her parents, Ray and Kathleen, her sister, Amy, her brother, Carl, and of course, her partner, Ryan uh, Casey. Now, James Horgan was the or is the principal of Skull Nave Column Kill in Dundera. That was the primary school where Ashleen Murphy was in her first year of uh, teaching and at the Mass yesterday he paid tribute to her and said on Wednesday January the 12th 2022 Ashleen Murphy a kind, caring, loving, funny energetic and beautiful young lady was wrongfully taken from the world as she simply decided to go for a run around the Grand Canal in Tullamore. He said shock, numbness and disbelief rattled the nation and the community on hearing 
the awful news of the tragic loss of such a beautiful, young, inspirational and wonderful uh, lady. And he added that even though Ashley had only uh, been here for 23 years, the, the huge, strong legacy she has uh, left behind. And one of those legacies, I take it, was very much evident at the Mass because the church was filled with the sound of Irish music in honour of Ashley. And of course, her love of traditional Irish music began at a very young age. She was a very active member and a tutor in the lo- her local branch of Kyoltis Kyoltoriere and she was an exceptional musician. She had won numerous All-Ireland, Provincial and County medals. She had competed at many of the flag kyols around the country and then she was just starting to be a really gifted music teacher to uh, so many and seemingly as the final piece of music marked the end of the memorial mass those crammed into the church stayed until the very end in order that they could applaud all of the musicians and singers who had turned up to remember Ashleen uh, uh, yesterday and uh, I suppose the fact that the mass was held on the eve of the anniversary it's kind of the community's opportunity to remember her and I imagine that this morning's mass is more of a private affair for the uh, family but I think she's a young lady that will be never forgotten and as I say the papers all uh, showing photographs of Ashley and it's that photograph I think that we'll all remember her by and it's that beautiful photograph that was taken on her graduation and you know so many households around the country have similar photographs of sons and daughters uh, graduating and I think that, that I think is what resonated with so many people uh, when Ashley was murdered she could have been anybody's uh, anybody's daughter so we remember Ashley Murphy today and there's another uh, photograph that's kind of striking and standing out in the papers uh, today and this is the little boy remember the little boy in Wexford who was attacked by an XL bully dog he was playing outside his home that was over a year it was the end of 2022 it was November of 2022 well a man and a woman have now been charged in connection with that dog attack that left that little nine-year-old boy with very serious uh, facial injuries. And the news now is that they will be sentenced on the 1st of uh, February. Karen Miller, with an address in Enniscorthy and Niall Byrne with the same address. They were in court yesterday uh, appearing in Wexford Circuit Criminal Court. Now, Karen Miller had pleaded guilty to two charges of endangerment in relation to the pit bull attack on this little boy. And also there had been a separate attack on another child four days earlier. I think that's what really adds to this story. The fact that that same XL bully dog had attacked another little boy and that this, the owner, did nothing about it. And then if, if something had been done after that first attack, we wouldn't be talking about this little nine-year-old boy or having to look at the photographs of the injuries done to his face in the papers uh, today. And the other guy, Niall Byrne, who I'm, I'm assuming they're uh, a couple, uh, he's pleaded guilty to the inhumane destruction of the animal. And he's also charged with two offences of making threats uh, to kill. So they're quite serious uh, offences uh, indeed. And of course, we remember during the incident that the little boy, he was out playing football on the green with other little boys, just very close to his home in uh, Enniscorthy, when this XL bully dog got out of the house, got out, I'm assuming maybe he was in a back garden, but anyway, he got out and straight onto the green where he literally pounced on this little boy who, and it was all facial injuries, it was very much his face and his neck that he uh, attacked. The little boy has now, he turned 10 last February and he suffered horrific 
horrific injuries and spent weeks in hospital in uh, Dublin. I mean, if you remember back when it happened in November, such was the ferocity of the attack that the little boy had to be airlifted to Crumlin Children's Hospital in Dublin where he was treated for serious injuries. And, you know, they don't airlift unless it's a very, very serious injury. I'm fearful that the child wouldn't survive if they brought him by land. So they, they had an air ambulance. And I think many people will be interested to see what will this couple be sentenced to on the 1st of uh, February. But again, it is one of those XL bully dogs that now in the UK since the 1st of January, it is now illegal to have an XL bully dog or to import an XL bully dog or to breed an XL bully dog in any way. And here in this country, we, we still haven't gone uh, gone that far. But yet when you see, as I say, this is, a, this is certainly the first time I've seen a photograph of the little boy. Now he's, you know, he's making progress because I know his brother had been speaking at the time and said basically his face had been ripped off. But you can see the side, large, large scar down the side of his face, still a lot of swelling. You can see where his mouth was very badly damaged and there seems to be some kind of uh, a plaster across his throat um, uh, as well and obviously he's going to require intensive ongoing treatment. That little boy's treatment certainly hasn't ended and he'll live with the results of that attack for the rest of his days and every time he looks in a mirror he'll he'll see the evidence of what happened to him on that day when he just went out with other little boys and girls to kick around a football out on a green. We so need to do something about those dangerous dogs, that XL bully dog. They should never, they should just never have been bred in the first place. According to a survey by the UK motoring body, the RAC, 85% of drivers say they're affected by headlight glare and all said the problem is getting worse. So, how big a problem is it here on our roads? Blake Boland of the AA uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Blake. Good morning. And you're welcome to the programme. Now, is this because of the use of LED bulbs that the lights appear brighter on more modern cars? That certainly is a major factor, all right. We've seen the introduction of LED lights more and more over the last number of years. And it's particularly important with, with EVs as well as we're, we're trying to cut down on the amount of energy that's used. So, yeah, it's definitely a, a massive increase over the last number of years. It seems to be continuing. But there are, might be other factors at play as well. There's obviously an increasing trend towards SUVs. So hatchbacks and saloon, saloon cars in particular are getting less and less popular with higher up SUVs. And therefore, their lights can be higher up as well. So that point where the lights shine and meet your eyes is now, you know, maybe a foot or two feet taller than it could have been in the past. So that's a big factor as well. Yeah, and that's probably one of the reasons if you if you are driving in an SUV or you come against an SUV, you, you sometimes think that they've got their lights on full when actually they don't. It's just that they're higher up on the road. That's right. Yeah. And and especially if you're coming up over a dip now, if you're kind of driving around urban streets, but if like myself, if you're driving in, in, in um, kind of countryside conditions a lot, any sort of a dip in the road or a little crest in the road means that angle of the light shining is slightly higher. And like you just said, those lights are now shining more directly into your eyes. Plus, they're more likely to be LEDs these days. Plus, it's more likely to be an SUV. And it's an increasing factor for sure. Yeah. Is some of the glare, though, down to badly aligned headlights? 
that will probably be a factor to some extent. Now, we don't have detailed data on this, and that's why some of the bodies, especially in the UK, are encouraging independent studies into this to find out exactly what's going on. But yeah, it, it most likely is a factor, but to ex what extent, we don't know yet. And some of it is, is just is just courtesy and care amongst ourselves. So that, that's you and I as we're driving home after work today. That's making sure that if you do have your, your beams on high, get them down lowered before you meet oncoming traffic. If you, you see a car coming around the corner and you've got your, your main beams on, just turn them down before that corner comes around. And also you can adjust the angle on some cars as well. There's a little scroll. So typically if you look you know, on the dash to the right-hand side of the steering wheel, there might be a little bit of scroll there where you can actually change the angle of the headlights. And a lot of people inadvertently, they don't realize they have them pointed as high as possible and that might not be necessary. Okay, yeah. And, and of course, with bad alignment of headlights, it, that, it's checked when you go for an NCT, isn't it? Isn't that one of the things they do check? So it, it's part of it, but I think a little bit more work is, is needed on this just to find out, is it the brightness? Is it the alignment of it? Is it the position of the headlights? Are people having them set in the right way? Um, do we need a little bit more discussion and dialogue between the government and the people looking after you know, the the NCTs and also the manufacturers just to find out are we, are we doing the right thing you know it's it's definitely a good thing that we can see better on the road with these better lights as technology gets better but are there some negative impacts and we certainly need a lot more research on this to find out what's going on and to find out exactly the impact on the eye how that recovers after being dazzled do you think it could actually be putting some people off driving at night Oh, it is. Yeah. So from from the survey um, that, that you alluded to there at the start, we're, we're seeing figures where, where people are saying that that they're just not willing to drive at night because of the potential of being of, you know, having your eyes being glared by, by by these brighter headlights. So some people are being put off and that's that's not a good thing. You know, people need to be mobile. They need to get out and about. And especially at the moment where what are we getting, you know, six, seven, eight proper hours of, of daylight. Yeah, yeah. That puts a lot of, you know, people want to be out. They want to socialize. They want to go collect they're shopping they have to get their kids after a crash um, and it's not a good thing that people are, are feeling trapped for want of a better word because of the potential of being dazzled on the road and what advice do you give to drivers if if you do get dazzled by uh, oncoming car headlights yeah, so this comes back to something that, that we've spoken about on this show before, and it's speed. So if you are being dazzled by them, you want to slow down. Now, the, the, the tricky thing here is if you jam on your brakes and someone's behind you, you can create an emergency. But if you can see a car oncoming, they're not dropping their lights, you can gradually reduce your speed. Also, don't, don't be tempted to look at those headlights. I've spoken to people in the past and they find that their eyes just go towards the headlights that they're annoyed about being so bright. But if you can just keep your focus away from that, you're less likely to be dazzled. Yeah, I can see calls coming in from people, including Catherine and Clannacilty. She said, I hate driving at night uh, because of the lights. I feel I'm blinded. I simply now try to avoid where possible driving at night. And as you say, that's exactly what you, you don't want uh, people doing. And of course, one of the reasons that it's been raised in the UK is because they believe dazzling from headlights is a contributing factor. They, re they reckon in about 280 collisions on the roads uh, every year. I mean, could it be part of the problem with some of our road collisions, do you think? 
it has to be a factor to some extent. If you are dazzled by headlights, it can take you a few seconds to recover from that that fully. You know, so if you're coming around twisty roads, especially in the countryside, you get dazzled by high beams and you're coming up to a, a sharp turn in the road or perhaps you're not seeing a car that's parked on the side or perhaps there's there's something on the road, you know, being a small branch. And you just don't see that because it takes you those few seconds to recover. And we're talking about potentially moving that car a couple of hundred meters before you get your full strength of vision back and that's a long distance to recover if you're not having proper vision at the time. Yeah and of course we sadly had a 20% increase in road deaths uh, last year and it's and 2024 is already starting off so bad with already a number of road uh, fatalities. Are you concerned that the number of road fatalities is going up instead of down Blake? Yeah, it, it's tragic. It really is. I checked the figures before I came on air with you there. We've had eight deaths on the roads so far this year. It's only the 12th of January, you know, um, and we saw just over 180 last year with, as you alluded to there, numbers been way up. And it, it really is tragic. And and I've been on the show before with you and we, we spoke about this. And we might touch on again in a moment in terms of speeding and drink driving. But I think we just need to appeal to everybody just to stop and think for a second here. These are not statistics we're throwing out. These are mothers, fathers, children, aunts, uncles. We really have to, to do whatever we can to get those down. And beyond that, we talk about numbers of road deaths. We don't often talk about the people who have serious injuries as a result from this, which is a multiple of those that die. And these are people with, you know, lifelong mobility issues now, chronic pain. Um, it, it really is is tragic what's happening there. And, and it sounds a, a little, you know, but we just need to stand together at this moment and get those numbers down because it's destroying families at the moment. Yeah, and I know the powers that be are trying to do something on speed and they're, they're talking about reducing speed limits around the country. I know all the local authorities at the moment are assessing all of their uh, roads. Will that help? It certainly will help, yes. How much, we, we don't yet know. So it, it's if you reduce your speed you're less likely to be in an accident. And if you've reduced your speed and you do get into an ex- into an accident, you're less likely to die or have a serious injury from that. So that can only be a good thing. And I know with the talk of reduction in speed limits and they're trying to get it through this year, and it might frustrate some people at times. Your, your journey might take you 43 instead of 40 minutes to get home. You know, you're going to be driving down a road at 80 and you feel like, do you know what, 100 is okay here. But we're just saying to people that, look, if there's a chance here that you could save a life, reduce the number of fatalities on the road, then why not just just factor that extra two or three minutes on your journey into your day and, and cut down on these these deaths and, and serious injuries. And I know um, when I, we came back last week after the Christmas break and I was looking at figures that have been released by Angarda Siakana for their road safety campaign for the month of uh, December, I, I was really taken aback at the number of drink drivers. I, th- I thought that was a thing of the past in this country. Yeah, you would have hoped so. And I think we did. We've certainly done well, you know, anecdotally, when we we speak to people about what it was like in the 70s or the 80s, it does seem to be far better now. But there's still too many people drink driving. And to go beyond that as well, it's drug driving as well. It's it's been under the influence, be that a few pints of Guinness or something a lot stronger. Um, it's it's drink and drug driving, and it really is 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 shocking that people are are still doing it. There's just no reason. There's no excuse for it. 
Um, and, and people are doing it the following morning as well. You've, there's a few pints of Guinness and then you get up for work at, you know, seven o'clock in the morning and you're still under the influence. So people need, do need to just check that and say, do you know what? It's 11 o'clock at night now. I, I need to stop because I know I'm going to be in the car at a certain time tomorrow morning. OK, before I let you go, Jim says, does wearing glasses affect your sight more with the strong, strong lights? I wear glasses and I find the glare is very bad at times. Does Blake know, does wearing glasses affect that dazzling. Yeah, I, I do wear glasses myself and I can see a slight difference, especially if they're not clean. But having said that, I'm not an, an optometrist um, okay. and I, I wouldn't want to go too far with an opinion on that. But I could see how that could be a factor. Yeah. Sure. And then someone else is saying that they drove from Mayo to Cork and it was an evening time drive and were very worried about the glare from other cars. So they wore sunglasses and uh, it was perfect. I just don't know if I could drive at night with sunglasses on. I'm not sure that might cut down on and this is one thing if we do want to to, to stop using LEDs and being so bright it, it can cause a knock-on effect so we, we could be helping in one situation but causing more more damage or more problems in another, in another situation yeah. if, All you're, right. if you're wearing your sunglasses at night that can create other issues Okay I can see a lot of people are very concerned uh, about the, the dazzling of the headlights uh, so listen Blake thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme you're welcome. Good morning to you. That is uh, Blake Boland from AA and Tim is picking up on what Blake was talking about about the scroll button for the for your lights. Uh, Tim says when headlamps are focused they should be done so with the scroll button at zero. That button is to compensate for weight in the back of the car whereby you can turn your lights down to the proper level. But I think a lot of people as Blake was saying don't, they do not even realise that that scroll button is there. Some of your calls in Suzanne and Nina Shannon, I feel the newer car lights are dazzling because of the LED bulbs. Yeah, that's what we were discussing there uh, with Blake. Compared to older cars, the lights are duller. But while the older lights are duller, are they safer because they're not as uh, dazzling? Yeah, yeah, but they say the LED lights give you more light. Um, it's kind of, I think, yeah, I think more investigation needs to be done. I mean, that's the reason that the report from the REC, the reason they brought out, they, they commissioned their report and they're calling in the UK on the government to fund an independent study on the issue. So watch this space. Catherine Clan says, I hate driving at night. Oh, I mentioned that because of the dazzling of lights. Patty Mitchistan says, do we need to educate drivers on night driving. So many people's eyesight may not be suitable for night driving and these people can be a danger on the road. If you feel you're not safe driving at night, then simply please do not drive once darkness falls. It frustrates Pat when he's driving at night and once a car comes along, the car in front suddenly breaks. Why? Because they can't deal with the bright lights and that can cause knock-on effect and can cause accidents. Now there are calls for a new tax credit to be introduced to encourage more people to volunteer, be it with charities or local community groups. Cork City Council have now voted in favour of a motion on the issue, which was proposed by Independent Councillor Mick Finn, who joins me to explain more this morning. Good morning to you, Mick. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, You're very welcome to the programme. Now, are we seeing a lack of people coming forward to volunteer and to help out with local groups? Yeah, there appears to have been um, a fall off following the COVID pandemic and the lockdown and the restrictions. Um, and I think that's evident in a number of spheres. I work as, as a youth development officer with Cork Education and Training Board. 
and a number of youth clubs uh, in the city and the county, all across the county, um, have haven't reopened, I suppose, since since the COVID pandemic, and a situation where we had nearly 200 clubs operating throughout Cork uh, dropped to 100. Now the, wow. it's beginning to come back. Yeah, it's beginning to come back up again, um, and we're doing a bit of work to try and kind of stoke up the sector. It's also evident across GA clubs, sporting organisations, tidy towns, you know, and again that's all over the city and county. Um, and just as an example, this was that I gave to some of the media in in recent days was the Darkness and Delight event that I run every year in UCC uh, with, a, with a small committee. That committee has got has gone from, you know, 12 to 4 and the number of volunteers we had last year dropped from around 80 down to 30. So there does appear to be a kind of a fall off in the sector and it's, well, that's where this motion came from. Do we know why? Well, I think one of the reasons, I mean, there, yeah, I suppose if you look, you know, in your own communities, in your own parishes and villages and towns, a lot of the volunteering that's done, that's very visible, is done by maybe an older cohort of people. And I think my own personal theory on it is that during uh, COVID, uh, you know, those people are, are people who take government advice, you know, fairly seriously and they, they adhere to it. And I think it's because people were told to kind of stay at home, not come out, not come out into the community. And I think there's a lingering uh, issue from that um, you know and then you know in the case of other maybe younger people are you know you have a lot of people who have emigrated and then you have people who are very busy lives who you know family lives they're doing extra work and um, I just think people you know it's gone off the radar a bit um, and while there are many people still volunteering and it's great I just know from sports clubs from guides from scouts that there has been a fall off um, and I suppose the reasoning for which probably should be investigated further as well but I, th- I think they're among the reasons why why people are, aren't putting their hand up and saying look I'll get involved I'll give an hour I'll give two hours I think that's the reason And are there huge benefits to volunteering? Well, I, you know, I'm, I volunteer myself and have done for years with GA, you know, with school boards, with, um, as I said, Darren Sintelate is one of the ones with a couple of charities. I think there are huge benefits for the individual. Um, you know, it, it gives them a sense of satisfaction. Uh, you know, they know that their efforts are making a difference in the community. But for those groups or for the individuals that they help, Freud, your big brother, big sister, for example, um, you know, is a fantastic um, initiative where older people volunteer and they help out with younger people. I mean, that makes significant difference in people's lives, as do your tidy towns groups across Cork. Um, you know, they do fantastic work to make villages and towns and cities uh, presentable and much more more, you know, much cleaner. Um, so I think there are, you know, it's, it's almost incalculable the, the, the value of volunteering. And I think if it stopped in the morning or if it, if it continues to weaken and we lose more and more volunteers, it's going to have a significant impact on our, on our communities. Well, it should be a real, real shame. And, and I also think volunteering with whatever type of organisation or whatever you're interested uh, in, it's a great way to make friends, isn't it? It's a fantastic way to make friends and especially for people maybe in kind of more isolated areas and, you know, as I said, people maybe without the benefit of, of big family networks. Uh, it's a fantastic way to make friends. Um, and, you know, I, I, I can't overplay the benefits of volunteering for from the volunteers point of view. But then, as I said to somebody yesterday, you know, some of these organisations are big wheels, but they need small cogs to keep them going. Of course they uh, do. And I think the volunteering bit there is, 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 so, is so important. And, uh, you know, I, the 100% people volunteer not for any type of uh, financial mm. gain. But what you're suggesting is a tax credit that might just push people to consider volunteering or maybe people who volunteered in the past might decide to reconnect. 
Yeah, and I think that's the point. I mean, that's the point of this. You, like, you're never going to pay volunteers for involvement. I mean, that's you no know, won't happen. You can't pay volunteers for the work that they do. But I think, you know, what you're looking at here, what I'm looking at here and what the council have supported is just a little kind of extra tap in the back from the state to value the work that's been done. Uh, and I mean, I don't think people will stop doing it for a lack of a, a, a tax break. They, you know, they won't necessarily jump into it because there's a tax incentive there. But I just think it might be something that might stoke up those who are dormant, you know, who were kind of thinking and hemming and hawing about getting back involved in a club or a project. Uh, it might just give them an extra boost and it might give the younger uh, population maybe an incentive to do it as well. And that's the, the motivation behind the motion. It may not uh, gain traction, even though it has been very well received um, and it may be difficult to implement. But that does, that's that's the reason to start the conversation yeah. and say, look, what can be done? Yeah, 100 percent. And and I know a lot of the larger companies, they do like community engagement uh, days. So, you know, a tax credit there, I think would work really well. And it might encourage other large companies to get involved or even medium sized companies. Exactly. And I think that's the principle that I kind of base this on, because a lot of them have, as you say, kind of CSR, corporate and social responsibility initiatives in, the, in their in their operations where staff go out into the community and they might be painting schools or they might be helping out clubs or whatever. Um, and they do that. And I think uh, as far as I know, they can get time in lieu or in some cases they actually get paid for it and work, which again, oh, you know, I'm not I'm not advocating pay for volunteering. But I just think the extra incentive is needed to get people and to attract people and to say, look, you know, yes, you'll you'll value your volunteerism and you'll follow you'll value what you're doing. But like there's also at the end of the year or whatever, there's also little tap in the back to say, look, you know, um, well done for what you're doing. And it might be minimal, it might be small, but I think, you know, it's worth exploring certainly to try and breathe new life into the volunteer sector. Yeah, it's, and it's just, it's a little thank you, I think, uh, more than uh, than anything. But we're at the start of the new year and people, you know, think about taking up New Year's resolutions yes. or whatever. One of the best things you can do is to look around your own community and see, is there some charity, some community group, some sports group that needs you to give up an hour or two of your time? Exactly. And like they're all crying out for help. I mean, every club organization, you know, can do with more volunteers. It's not a case of, oh, look, we're full. We have we have too many people like there are. And I, one of the things I think that people fear is that they'll get inundated or swamped with work or whatever. I mean, you can give an hour, a half an hour, five hours, whatever you can do. And I think some people then think, what can I give to a, a club or organization? I, I remember a, a friend of mine worked at IT for years and she retired and she turned around and said, sure, I can't give anything. Yet she went in and started giving uh, basic IT classes to, to youth groups. And I mean, she's still doing it kind of two years on. But it, I think people sometimes don't realise their own skill set. And even just the fact of being a good adult and a strong adult for a young person, uh, you know, or someone to help a coach or someone to, you know, um, do the logistics for a tidy towns operation. Everybody can do something. Yeah, yeah we all have a skill set. Listen, uh, Mick, great, great um, suggestion. And I think it just gets the whole conversation going around volunteering. We can't talk enough about it. But thank you for joining us uh, on the programme this morning. No problem at all. Thank you. Good morning to you. That is Cork City Independent Councillor Mick Finn. Huge reaction to my chat with Blake Boland of the AA on lights and how dazzling lights can be at night because we've moved to these LED uh, lights. And actually, Noli in Mallow was on to us to say, 
Uh, he was driving back from Mallow, from Cork City to Mallow and he was driving along the road and he spotted a car and he realised that the woman in the car was a neighbour of his and she had her hazard lights on. So he said, oh, I better pull in and make sure everything is OK. So he went over to talk to the lady and when he went over, she was really, really upset in the car and she explained to Noli that she had gone to visit a friend of hers in Blarney and you know the way you get chatting and all of that, lost track of time and then started to make the journey from Blarney back to Mallow but it was dark and this obviously this lady does not like to drive in the dark and then there was a large volume of traffic on the road on that particular uh, evening and she just got so overwhelmed by it all that she ended up pulling in on the side of the road put her hazards on and Oli said when when he went over to her she was actually shaking she was so uh, upset so he managed to calm her down and he said, look, follow me back to Mallow. And uh, she did. And he got her safely back to Mallow. But uh, and obviously went nice, slow pace and uh, kept she kept a nice distance behind uh, Noli and was able to get back safe to, to Mallow. So well done to Noli for that. But it got him thinking, particularly then when we were talking about the dazzling of the lights this morning, that people just need to be patient and to show some respect for other drivers on the road because the amount of people that are saying that they spot somebody who every time a car comes against them, they can see the car ahead of them are suddenly breaking and slowing down and it could be for exactly that reason you could have somebody very nervous about driving at night and feel very dazzled by the lights so your instinct if you get dazzled is to uh, break. Now somebody and I'm assuming this is somebody in the know I'm not mechanically minded so I I don't fully understand this but somebody said this could be a possible solution it would be for an auto electrician to cut down the wiring loom and add some resistors to the power going to the LED as a result they would be less bright now I don't know if that makes sense to other people but to this listener he sounds like a person in the know Pat from Cork says Patricia on the subject of headlights I've actually raised this with a member of Angar the Shia a number of years ago is there a regulation as to what brightness your lights can be. I do a lot of early morning driving and I've been in situations where the inside of my car has been completely illuminated by the car driving behind me. I've ended up on some occasions having to pull in my wing mirrors and move my rear view mirror sideways because the lights of the car behind are simply so strong. This is not just a problem on country roads. It's actually nearly worse on the main roads because the lights are coming at you for a longer period of time on a very straight road. Have others noticed that? And I'm assuming, again, Pat, that this issue all goes back to the brightness from the LEDs that are all in the more modern cars and and as I say it's one of the reasons that the RAC in England commissioned this uh, poll where 85% of people say they are affected by a headlight glare and it's a problem that's only getting worse as more and more cars now have LED bulbs and actually in the UK they're calling on the government to do an independent study and I'm assuming if an independent study is done on the issue the problem that you've highlighted of not the oncoming cars but the cars behind you that the lights are too bright. But I take it when people go for their NCT, is that part of the NCT? I know the alignment and to make sure that they're not, you know, directly going into somebody's eyes. I know that that's um, checked. But is the brightness of the bulbs checked as well, uh, I wonder? Uh, 0818103103. Anne in Bannon Tempest says, Oh, Patricia, I absolutely hate driving at night because of those LED lights that you're speaking about and people, also other people not dimming their headlights. 
And again, what, there are some people who very ignorantly don't dim their headlights and they should. But Anne, there's also another issue that Blake Boland touched on. Uh, if you've got any kind of an SUV or any kind of a high car and John Paul, when we were talking in the office, said it happens to him as well. He's quite high up on the road in his car. Uh, he he drives a, a, a Jeep. Uh, and because they're higher up on the road and because they've got all these LED lights, he says he's forever driving at night and people are flashing at him to you know, to dim his lights. And he says his lights are already dim, but because he's so high up on the road. So while you're assuming people are not dimming their headlights, in many cases they have their headlights uh, dimmed, but it is the type of car that they are driving. And it could be a reason that their lights are just too bright. 0818103103. Someone else says, Patricia, what about e-bikes and scooters? Some of them have very bright LEDs that are absolutely blinding. And it feels on some of them like they're not pointing down enough to light the roads and they're actually going straight into the eyes of the drivers of an oncoming car. Very, very dangerous for drivers, especially when some foreigners are travelling on the wrong side of the road. And I don't know if you're talking about people who are visiting the country driving on the wrong side of the road. Are you talking about people on e-scooters? I'm not too sure. Anyway, this listener says very annoying and that the LED lights on e-scooters and bikes need to be looked at. Hi Patricia, I've been driving for years. My worst problem now is the yellow painting, the yellow lines on the side of the road. Most of them are worn, particularly if you're going around a bend. They are not being maintained. Also, I have an issue with cars that don't dim those very powerful lights. We're paying massive road tax and we are not getting any return with the quality of our roads. But the yellow the yellow lines on the side of the road, they need to be improved. Anybody else having an issue with those? 0818-103-103. And by email to Cork today at c103.ie. Hi, Patricia. Listening to your programme, I think it's important to advise drivers when parking or pulling in at the side of the road, make sure you switch off your lights. It's also extremely dangerous for oncoming uh, cars. 0818103103 and we touched on volunteering with Councillor McFinn this morning and he's suggesting that some kind of a tax credit could be given to people who volunteer and this is because we're seeing less and less people come forward to volunteer unfortunately and then because of COVID we lost a lot of people who had been in the habit of volunteering and then have stopped. So we need to get people who before the pandemic volunteered, we need to get them back out volunteering but we also need to get I think a new generation of young people coming up who would be interested in getting involved in their community in a local charity with a sports uh, club. Miriam says in her uh, area she's involved with a Tidy Towns group and then she said separately she's also involved with cleaning up the estate where she lives and this is separate to her volunteering with the Tidy Towns and she said we're always asking people particularly the people in the estate would you like to come along and help us out when we're doing our clear clear up but she said it's the same people every single time turn up when they announce in the estate that they're going to do some litter picking. But Miriam said what really annoys her is that you have people in the estate who complain about the litter in the area. But they are the very same people, she said, when you ask them to help, they'll always have an excuse. Oh, sorry, no, too busy. Oh, sorry, can't, can't do that. And she said they are the same ones and the main ones who will complain if the estate isn't clean, but they're never available on the days when they want people to come out and do a bit of a clean up. That is annoying. 0818 103 103.
And can I go back to yesterday for uh, a minute when we were discussing flooding and we were discussing almost three months uh, later Storm Babette, which happened in October and the good people of Middleton and parts of East Cork, they were absolutely devastated. And I thought, you know, nearly three months on that everything had been sorted out, be it from insurance point of view or the humanitarian aid that's put forth from the government and is distributed through the Red Cross. I thought everything was okay and everyone was getting back to normal. But Mona, who joined us on the programme yesterday, very much laid out that we still have people who are out of their homes. Uh, We still have businesses that haven't reopened. There's still a problem with people who had flood insurance, but trying to get the money out of the insurance companies, an ongoing problem. And that then led to some texts and emails and calls in from listeners sharing their own stories. And some of them absolutely heartbreaking, including the young couple who've worked really, really hard on their home and their home now has been destroyed. They're still waiting on the insurance company to pay up. And in the meantime, the bit of money that they had saved and that they were saving towards IVF treatment that's had to be used to try to get their home back to to somehow be able to live in it. And they're living in it at the moment. But as the lady who contacted us said, it's like we're living in the middle of a building site and they haven't had a sink in the house, I think, since uh, November. Just absolutely shocking. Well, in that same vein. But we also mentioned when I was chatting with Mona and the reason there's a petition online on change.org there's a petition online to try to get the council and the powers that be to do something in the interim we know for certainly for the town of of Middleton they need a proper flood relief scheme but we're nine years away from that being in place so in the meantime something needs to be done because we know with climate change we will have more of these flood events between now and when that that proper flood system goes in in uh, nine years time and I mentioned to Mona that they were lucky if you could be lucky with the damage that was created due to Storm Babette. But we were lucky that no lives were lost. And I was making the point that if that had happened at night, because of the ferocity and the flow of the water and because it it descended down through Middleton and other parts of East Cork at such a fast pace, we were just lucky that it happened during the day and that it didn't happen at night. Well, John has contacted the programme to say, I was listening to Mona on your programme yesterday talking about the impact of the flooding in the town of Middleton and indeed the surrounding areas of East Cork. On the morning of the flood, back on the 18th of October last year, I got a call from Kieran, a very good friend of mine, to say, are you up at your mother's house? My mother lives in Drury's Avenue. Uh, and the reason that Kieran contacted me was to say that there was water in the laneway. Kieran then said that there had been a flash flood and the water had poured down the lane with such powerful force. John says, I just got in home in time to help my mother. But only for that call from Kieran, she would have been in trouble as she was in the house on her own. She's 87 and she has very limited mobility. The level of the water in the house was frightening for us both. A fireman by the name of John Paul swam, swam to the window of the house and advised me to get my mother upstairs as quickly as possible. And I was very grateful to see him. Every item in the house at that stage was beginning to float and fall. 
the fire brigade and the civil defence and the coast guard were great on the day and I really wanted to thank them but it's only by the grace of God that we didn't have a casualty on that day we now need action as this could and will happen again and people's lives will be destroyed even more kind regards from John wow John that's uh, quite a uh, a powerful uh, piece and well done to Kieran who realised obviously an elderly lady living in that house but as I say and the point that we made yesterday with Mona if that flooding had occurred at night and people were in their beds and people weren't in a position to realise what was happening we could have been talking about a very very different uh, story even as bad as the floods and the devastations and the devastating uh, effect of those floods it could have been way worse 0818 103 103 John Paul's taking your calls texts and whatsapps to 0862 103 103 C103 Jobs and let's start with Nazareth House in Mallow they're looking for healthcare assistance and you need to FeeTech level 5 in older persons care CVs please to hr.mallow at nazarethcare.com Dramina Community Play School, they've got a vacancy for an AIMS support worker. A minimum of QQI level 5 qualification, please. CVs to Dramina Community Play School at gmail.com. And experienced high purity pipe fitters are wanted. It's for a project in Raheen in Limerick. CVs to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. And a mechanic is wanted for a full or part-time basis. It's to work on cars, 4x4s and rally cars. It's in the Roscarbury area. Bring Jason 87 And the Maria Immaculata Community College in Dunmanway, they've got a full-time vacancy for a general operative. Now, your duties will include painting, grass cutting, classroom and building lockup, etc. Further details from the school at 86 You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Now, following a review of how child maintenance orders could be improved in this country to make it fairer and more effective, it's been recommended that child maintenance payments could be deducted from source, be it from wages or a social welfare payment. How big a problem is non-payment of child maintenance? Well, Karen Kiernan is CEO of One Family, who advocates on behalf of One Parent Family. Families and Karen joins me. Good morning to you, Karen. Good morning. And you're welcome to the programme. OK, I suppose, firstly, how is child maintenance payments? How are they decided? Oh, at the moment, they're decided between parents. So they might be decided amicably, which is great, or they might be situation uh, where people have to take each other to court. And then that is very adversarial, could be costly and can take really, really long lengths of time. So in the meantime, a family may be without money um, and there can be all this conflict in the family because really what people are trying to do after separation is uh, share parenting of their children well. So money is a real trigger and a real problem for people who've gone through separation and breakups and are finding things difficult. Yeah, and as you say, in the ideal world, and and I'm assuming it happens in a lot of cases, the parents just sit down themselves and decide this is how much I'm going to pay and, and, and they do it between themselves. But would you hear of many parents then 
even once the decision has been made, be it through the courts or through an agreement, that they, the other parent fails to pay the maintenance? Yeah, we constantly hear about that, unfortunately. Um, now, people aren't going to be telling us that they're happy <laughs> either, but we constantly hear that um, maintenance has been ordered by court and is then just not paid. So what has to happen, and that may have affected someone's social welfare payment as well. They could actually be really down money. Now, the Department of Social Protection are changing that, so it will um, not influence social welfare payments in the future, which is good. But what the person who's owed the money has to do on behalf of their child is go back to court, Ah. seek another court date. The person has to be summonsed back to court. And all of this is very conflictual. To get a summons is quite a big deal. There's a threat of jailing in it. So it's it's very, very adversarial between parents. Um, And then there's very limited actions that the court can take. They can do an attachment of earnings for someone who's in a job. But if that person becomes self-employed or isn't working or um, changes jobs, that's gone. So it's really then back again on the person, the parent who's owed the money for their child to have to go back to court again. And there's no proper research on this. There's no figures kept of how many um, child maintenance orders work out positively and then how many are a failure. Because a lot of people just leave it because they can't take the emotional stress of needing to go back again and again. And I suppose it is a blunt instrument. There may also be people who are being um, asked or told to pay maintenance, who may feel that they can't afford it. You know, there's the can't pay people and there's the won't pay people. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, they are a different, different order of parent, really. And is this a way forward? Would you like to see it deducted from source as, as has been recommended? The the report that came out from the Department of Justice has 26 recommendations and there's lots of options about what the courts can potentially do to make it easier. And there's also an emphasis on out-of-court solutions like mediation. But the problem is the, the, the state decided a couple of years ago after doing a, another review of child maintenance not to do an independent um, child maintenance agency or system. And that is a big problem for parents because what the state has said is um, we're going to improve options for courts, but you're still going to have to go to court. And that is not what most people want or need. It clogs up the courts. People can be waiting three months, six months for dates and then they need to go back again and they still don't have the income that they're supposed to have. So whilst this is an improvement and there's there's tools that the courts can use that they didn't have before, you're still making parents whose main job is to parent their children have to go back to court to fight about money. And that is really, really unpalatable. And what we had wanted based on our work with parents and families and what happens um, was for an independent kind of state body to say, look, this is all the income that this family has. This is what's fair in terms of the needs of the child and everyone's income. So this, you know, so it's not the parents having to fight with each other. It's somebody else saying this is the amount of money you have to pay. And then if it wasn't paid to have a way of enforcing it. And in New Zealand, that's done through their revenue system. Um, and so that is an option here. And all of those options should absolutely be looked at. Anything other than making people go to court yeah, and is it, a better it, way. It would also mean that the, you know, the parent who is doing the primary care uh, would know how much money he or she, and in many cases it is a she, let's be honest, would have every week. I mean, I'm thinking... In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches and fine jewellery, Rebag is the answer. 
Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit get 30, bit get 20, 20, 20, bit get 20, 20, bit get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. With somebody when you're saying three to six months they're then without uh, the money that yeah. they need so what, yeah they, absolutely they're relying on and people are owed thousands and thousands oh. and tens of thousands I mean the other problem is there are also people and they're often the dads who are saying look I'm I'm paying the maintenance or or I'm being blocked from seeing my child because I haven't paid the maintenance and really the issues of access to children and custody of children should be separate to whether maintenance is being paid. So, you know, it is messy and and courts don't help because courts force each other to fight and to, you know, go up against each other and seek things rather than seeking an agreement. What we know from our own research is that people who come to their own agreements are much more likely to keep them going and to implement them. So if people can go to mediation, if people can make agreements themselves, that's much better. But obviously, if you've got people who are not behaving responsibly or who are so emotionally distressed that they can't do that or who have been abused or subject to violence, those things are just not options. So they have to go to court. So it is really, really difficult. But people, yes, are often down money. And what we know is children living in one parent families are the poorest children, unfortunately, in the country. And in other jurisdictions where they've put in good child maintenance systems, you've seen the child poverty rates decrease. And that's what we want. We want children living in separated or shared parenting families to have the chances and opportunities and income and love from their parents that other families and children do but we don't really help people separate well in Ireland if we're forcing them into court that's not helping them separate well that's making everything ramp up be delayed and be more tense and conflictual and that doesn't support children and if there's been an acrimonious split which you know often there is that just adds to it if you're in and out of a courthouse and you know almost you know firing shots across the bows at at each other it's just there's no no winners there and as you've mentioned and it's something we've spoken about on the programme before that we know the children of one parent families are at a much higher risk of uh, poverty and obviously this maintenance issue not being paid that just adds to that problem Oh, it absolutely does. And I suppose it has also been interacting for people, parents and children who've been reliant on social welfare. It also has, you know, they've had social welfare deducted for maintenance payments that maybe then never got paid or they've been made go 
and seek maintenance, um, even where someone was abusive. Now, the Department of Social Protection has really listened to parents and to organisations such as One Family, and they've changed that. And once the legislation comes in, people will no longer have child maintenance deducted from social welfare payments, which is really good because it will mean that they're not going to be short on very, very low incomes. They're not going to be short on a week to week basis. But there is still that bigger problem of how do people who may be very hurt by each other, who may not get on anymore, how can we as a country support them to put their children at the centre and work things out so that they don't increase problems within their families. And at the moment, we're we're pushing people into conflictual situations instead of supporting them um, to de-escalate, to get support around things and to come to their own agreements, which is a much better option. 100%. OK, listen, you do fantastic work at, at One Family. Long may it continue. In the meantime, Karen, thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Thank you. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, Karen Kieran, who is CEO of One Family and they, of course, advocate on behalf of uh, lone uh, parents. So, as she said, it is it is a major review that has been carried out. But I think, yeah, absolutely something has to be done because I think that idea of uh, when one parent, for whatever reason, decides not to pay the maintenance. Now, it can be done for a variety of different reasons. It can be done because the person maybe can't afford it, but it can also uh, be done because they're trying to get at the other parent because it was a very bad breakup. But we know that children who are raised in one parent families are at a much higher risk of uh, poverty and how much of that is down to the fact that maintenance payments are not being uh, made. But the other side of the coin and you wouldn't, you know, is they you would have parents who are getting the maintenance then using that maintenance against in some cases it's the father to say that unless you pay me more you're not going to be able to see your son or daughter and that's equally wrong. There are wrongs certainly on both sides Uh, but we do need to look at child maintenance orders and how it's actually paid and when it's been decided that X amount of money you have to give every week towards the raising of your child then that money must be uh, paid. Uh, Is deducting it directly from wages? Is that the answer? Or if somebody's on a social welfare payment deducting it straight from the social welfare so that the person never has to hand over the maintenance it's taken from source. Your thoughts welcomed. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie Today on C103. I made a text in in the last hour from, there isn't a name on this now, from a listener who is sending me on a clip of a piece that is in this week's Corkman newspaper. And the headline is South Dock Service in McCroom appears to have now ceased. And this listener says, what a disgrace, a new building for Southstock in McCroom and it's gone. We are surely like a third world country, this listener says, since the bypass in McCroom always seemed to have as mad drivers through the town day and night. They seem to have no shortage of diesel and petrol. But anyway, the story that the listener is highlighting is to do with Southstock in McCroom. And we spoke about Southstock in McCroom because there was, the way it operated changed, as did a number of other Southstock services on the 2nd of January. So we were led to believe, and we had the local councillor Martin Coughlin on, that it was going to go ahead it would, would be by appointment only. We were making the point, well, you know, in order to get to Southstock, you have to ring. So most people do have an appointment, so we didn't think that, we, you know, everything looked like it was fine and it would just go ahead as normal. You'd ring up if, God forbid, somebody in you or someone in the household got sick out of hours. You'd speak to somebody and they'd say, OK, you pop in at 20 past 10 or whatever time of the day or night, well, night, well, day, if it's at the weekend. 
But according to this article uh, by Jack Joy, South Dock McCroom has ceased to operate as it did. And a recent statement issued by the Out of Hours GP service stating that it would continue to provide care by appointment uh, in the area was misleading. And this is according to a local doctor. And the local doctor that's quoted is Dr. Con Kelleher. Now, Con served as a GP in McCroom from 1982 up to 2014 and he actually was one of the founding members of Southstock in 2002. So he's a man who knew why we needed a Southstock service and knew how important the service was. But he's written a letter to the Corkman newspaper and he's claimed that that recent decision that was made by local doctors in Southstock, he says that recent decision is closing the McCroom Centre at Fair Green Plaza and it's closing it as it had operated. The out of hours service, he says, ceased to exist on the 2nd of January. He said from that date, patients who require out of hours attention will now instead be sent to Cork, Bandon, Bantry or Killarney. Those unable to travel there will receive a home visit are be seen in a local centre, but by doctors not based in McCroom. So basically what they are saying is that if you ring Southstock in McCroom, you're going to be sent to a doctor in one of the other Southstock services. And it is only the very few, the patients who absolutely cannot travel to the centre, who will be facilitated by the appointment. And the appointment will either be a doctor coming out to the house or it will be, I'm assuming, somebody called into the local centre, but there's not going to be a doctor based there the whole time. So it does look like what we were told is slightly different to what's happening in reality. Okay, we're going to have to look into this a little bit more. And John Paul tells me we're going to be following up on it on Monday. So for people in the McCroom area, if you're worried about your South Dock service, we hopefully will have more on that on Monday. 0818 103 103. John Paul continues to take your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Ours to protect. Brought to you by C103, the IBI, and funded by the Commission Naman with the television license fee. Check out ours to protect.ie for more info. On Hours to Protect this week, we get an update on the progress of legislation through the Houses of the Arachnids in relation to vital environmental legislation. The Fair Seas Coalition has warned the government that time is running out and nature and climate targets are being jeopardised. Fair Seas Campaign Coordinator Dr Donald Griffin explains where the legislation is at. Well, it's in the programme for government set out originally in 2020 and we were told last year that it would be published and in the public domain the first draft of the bill by the summer, by July 2023, before the Dáil summer recess. And unfortunately, um, despite some really great progress regarding the general scheme and the Joint Directors Committee pre-legislative scrutiny, that that target was missed. So we still haven't seen the first draft of the bill. And then, of course, we had the summer recess and all the politicians were back in to work then in September. And we were told then that, okay, we would definitely see this legislation before the Christmas break. Uh, and we still have the bill still hasn't been published. And why is this legislation so important? Pharisees are quite clear that this is really, really important piece of legislation. This will allow 
Ireland to create new nationally based marine protected areas and ultimately that is to help protect and restore um, marine biodiversity, species, habitats, ecosystems. It's really badly needed because we have amazing biodiversity here all around Ireland. We're really lucky and privileged but actually we should look at that biodiversity and see it as a fraction of what it once was and what it could be. So we're really missing out on the full potential of the sea and the full health of the sea and we view this legislation is really critical to improving the health of the sea and protecting and recovering um, our, our sea life. Um, so we really, what we're saying now to government is we, it really needs to be the top of their entry, their priority list in the new year when they get back to work in January. And what are Ireland's commitments under the EU targets to protect and restore the oceans and seas? Ireland actually has committed at a national an EU, as you mentioned, but also an international level to designate 30% of our seas as a marine protected area by 2030. Um, currently, we're at 9%, in and around the 9%. So we are a long way uh, off from that 30% in, in you know six or seven years now. It's really not that, that long away. And we have capability at EU level to designate SPAs or SACs under the EU Habitats and Birds Directives, and we have that's what our our current MPA network is made up of. But we really need this new nationally based legislation to help us get up over the 10%, up over the 20%, and up towards the 30% in a really short period of time, really in the next six, seven years. So this legislation will allow us to do that. It will allow us to meet our biodiversity targets with respect to MPAs. And that is why Fair Seas are calling for this legislation to really be prioritised in the new year because there, th- those targets, those 20, what we call them 30 by 30 targets, 30% by 2030, they're really at risk now. So how optimistic are you as we speak that the government will get the required legislation over the line in the coming months? I like to be optimistic. I like to be, I call it ocean optimistic, so ocean optimism. I think the, the opportunity is absolutely there for the government. It is really now a case of of, of the will of government. Do they want to prioritise it? Do they want to get on with it? And, you know, they, they have done fantastic work to now, you know, they're, 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 the, with the bill. We believe it's drafted now. We believe it's just in the queue, in the pipeline, you might say. So there's really no reason why they shouldn't get on with it and they can't get on with it. So I am optimistic that maybe by the end of January, uh, maybe February, um, that they they will publish the bill and then that the, the official process of turning this bill into an enact, enacting it into a law can begin and we can get it done before, um, at least before the, the, the summer recess of 2024. Ours to Protect, brought to you by C103, the IBI, and funded by the Commission Naman with the television license fee. Check out ours to protect.ie for more info. And thanks to Barry for this week's Hours to Protect. We will have another episode next uh, Friday at about at the same time. Some of your comments coming in. I mentioned, uh, and this was brought to our attention by a listener, an article that's in the Corkman uh, newspaper this week about the South Dock Service in McCroom. And it, it appears to have now ceased, even though uh, we're told that the enhancements that were taking place uh, were just, you'd be able to get, get into South Dock in McCroom by appointment only. But 
from what we're now gathering, it doesn't seem to be the case. Unless you don't have transport, you will be sent to some of the other South Stocks in this in the area. And I mentioned this is all being highlighted by Dr. Con Kelleher, who's a retired GP in McCroom, who was one of the founding members of South Stock, and he penned a letter to the Corkman newspaper. And when I mentioned Dr. and we're going to be dealing and looking at the issue in more detail on Monday, but when I mentioned Dr. Kelleher, that prompted somebody to say, good to hear you speak of Dr. Con Kelleher in McCroom. He was the kindest doctor anyone could ever meet, especially to children. He always put them at ease when they were sick or upset. And what a lovely family doctor he was. He and his late sister Mary, who was a teacher, so kind and so caring to her students. God rest at Mary. But people have very fond memories of Dr. Con Kelleher, who retired as a doctor in 2014. So he's nearly 10 years gone, but still remembered as a kind, caring doctor, which is a lovely, lovely thing, isn't it? 10 years after retirement that you're still remembered by uh, so many people. Thank you for that. There's no name on that text, but thank you for that to uh, 0862 103103 and thank you to somebody else whatsapping us in a piece saying doing the rounds again and it's another one of those scam texts and it's the one that says you know hi ma'am my phone broke can you text my new number and of course they they always get you to do it on uh, WhatsApp but of course straight away the listener realised that it was a scam so be aware that those texts are back out uh, again and I'm just going to throw it out there on scam texts because I don't know if it's just me and my phone number or what is going on but I am inundated with texts. I woke this morning to four different texts all saying the same thing all to do with Netflix and yes I do have Netflix I know there's nothing wrong with my subscription but it came from four different numbers I knew straight away it was a scam and then yesterday I received four or five scam uh, texts the bulk of them were to do with Unpost telling me I had a parcel with Unpost and that I needed to contact them I didn't so I didn't and then there was another one I got two or three of the eFlow ones and I had been thinking because I got a few of them after Christmas but I had travelled, we'd gone up to Galway for a few days and we'd gone through a tolled road, one that you paid cash in so I wasn't on one of the ones um, that, you know, the one going into Dublin that you have to pay online. So I knew straight away that it was a scam. But I don't know what it is since the start of this year. I just seem to be getting an, an increase in the number of scam texts. So as I say, I don't know if it's just me or not or if others notice that as well. 0818 They're more annoying than anything. I mean, I literally just delete them. I'm not going to get sucked in by them. But I'm always fearful when they're on the increase that you will have somebody somewhere who will get sucked in and who will think that they owe money or who will think it's on post looking to deliver a parcel etc and people click on the link and then all kinds of things can go wrong uh, for people so just please be careful and make other more vulnerable people aware of the amount of scam texts doing the rounds uh, at the moment. Uh, good afternoon Patricia this is from Dominic and Mary in Ballylicky outside Bantry thank you for your text Dominic and Mar- Mary who were listening to the programme yesterday when I was speaking with the uh, the Irish Independent Farm uh, journalist Hannah Quinn Mulligan and Hannah joined us on the programme because she, we were talking about weddings and the cost of weddings and she was just saying she was taken aback because a friend of hers was getting married and she couldn't believe the amount of money that people are spending on weddings. It, the average now is €32,500 for a typical Irish wedding with about 100 guests. Huge, huge sum of money. So H- Hannah had written this really uh, clever piece 
in I think it's this week's Farming Independent supplement in the Irish Independent. So we brought her on just to talk about it and that then led me to talk about her farm. She farms in Croom in County Limerick with her mother and her grandmother and they're kind of they're big into organic farming but one of the things they do is they produce this gorgeous milk that comes in glass bottles and it has the cream on the top. The kind of milk that I remember growing up with where you'd be fighting with your sisters to try to get to the milk so that you could get the cream to pour over your uh, cornflakes. Anyway, that's what Dominic and Mary were listening to uh, yesterday. And uh, Dominic uh, and Mary say uh, here in West Cork, Glown Cross have wonderful dairy products. They also do bottled milk and you can return the bottles to get your milk uh, put back in, into them. They are a wonderful, wonderful uh, dairy. And actually, I straight away Googled Glown Cross uh, Dairy, who are described as a family owned dairy farm in the rolling West Cork countryside. And they are famed for their fresh milk, their cream, their buttermilk, and their butter, all produced from their own herd of Jersey and Frisian cows on our farm. And I was talking to John Paul, said, mm, yeah, That's a familiar name to me. And John Paul says, Yeah. Of course it is, because we've spoken with the owners of Clown Cross uh, Dairy when we used to do outside broadcasts, particularly for the McCroom, the, the food fair that we'd spoken with them in the past. So, yeah, I'm well aware of them. And it is wonderful to try it where, where if you can and if you have access to it, to try to support those small dairies like that. But I love the idea of the milk bottle. I'd love if we went back to the old fashioned day of the milk bottle. We're doing everything that we can to get away from plastics. We know... Uh, we know how dangerous plastics are to the environment. We're going to have the deposit and return scheme uh, soon enough. Could we not go back to the days of the bottles and you bring, you bring your bottles, you bring your milk bottles back with you if you want to get three bottles of milk, then you bring your three empties, your rinse amount, you bring your three empties. We did it for many, many years and future generations did it for many, many uh, years and it wasn't that inconvenient. Could we ever see ourselves returning to milk bottles? 0818103103. On the dazzling of the lights, that has become an issue on the programme today. A couple of people on with solutions because a lot of people are saying that they know of somebody or they themselves, they don't actually go driving at night now because of these LED lights on all of the modern cars and that they're just simply too bright. Somebody said anti-dazzle driving glasses are available in Specsavers and you can get them with your prescription in them as well and I imagine they're available at Specsavers, they're probably available at all other opticians so if you're having an issue with driving at night because I'd hate to think of somebody who is now limited to only being able to leave their house during the day because they're so fearful of driving at night. Maybe that's an option for you to get anti-dazzle driving glasses. And John in McCroom has a similar suggestion. Um, Again, he's talking about how blinding the LEDs can be. He said a number of years ago, he was up at the ploughing championships. And you know, the ploughing championships, you can buy lots and lots of things. There's loads of businesses uh, go along to the ploughing championships. So when he was there, John spotted what are described as anti-glare glasses. And he said they were sold and promoted as especially for driving at night. He said they have a yellow like film across the glasses. And John says they work perfectly for him. So they may help uh, others. OK, so that's for people who don't wear. So obviously if you wear glasses, you're going to have to go in, to, in and get your prescription with this special anti-glare uh, on it. But there's ones that you can buy with a yellow-like film is what John calls it. Has anybody seen them available locally? Anti-glare glasses for driving at night. 
if anybody knows where they can be purchased, please let us know because it would be great to pass it on to listeners who are contacting us saying that they are having problems. 0818 103 103. Mary Indrina, for example, says she tries to avoid nighttime driving as well. And she somebody else earlier on was on about this when you're when someone is driving behind you Mary has noticed because these LEDs on the cars are so bright all of Mary's car is uh, lit up she says possibly one of the reasons is that the driver behind you is driving too close Mary ends up having to adjust her mirror she said it can be impossible to see when your car is lit up you're being blinded by the person behind you uh, as well and she reckons sometimes it's not the fault of the person driving the car she is pointing the finger of blame at the manufacturers they need to test all of these lights before they put them out on the roads and Maria in Bantry says I feel a lot of the newer cars are made for European or American roads and they're not suited for some of the roads in our country they may not be suited for example she says on the rural roads or the secondary roads that we have here in Ireland yeah but earlier on when somebody was talking when somebody messaged us about the the same problem that um, Mary Andrina is saying there about cars coming behind you if their lights their LED lights are very bright shining into the car one of our previous listeners was saying it's worse on the straight roads it's worse on the motorways because it's it's a straight straight road whereas at least if you're on a rural road and you're turning around a bend you know, you'll get a period of time where the car won't be right up on, on top of you and, uh, and and therefore your whole car won't be lit up. So I don't know if that's the issue or not, uh, Maria. Uh, but thank you for your call to 0818 103 103. And Nora in Kilmichael has been on wondering, anybody in the Kilmichael McCroom area taking Christmas cards for recycling before she puts them into the recycling bin? Is there anybody using uh, these uh, Christmas cards? Because we've heard of some places that take them and they do arts and crafts with them. For example, where Marsha, my daughter, goes to the Gilbert Centre in uh, Mallow. She's her own little business going where they help her to make Christmas cards. They make cards all year round, but they do it from recycling old cards, cutting them up and they help her stick them on and put stickers on and whatever. And she's got a little business going and they sell them up in the the Gilbert Centre. So that's where we send off our Christmas cards. And there are a lot of other day centres and some nursing homes as well in the past used used to do them because it can be great for arts and crafts. So if anybody in the Kilmichael McCroom area would be interested in Nora's Christmas cards, can you let us know before she pops them into the recycling bin? 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862. 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. Now, this is your last weekend and your last chance to see the Formoy pantomime Woody at the OK Corral. It's on in the Palace Theatre in Formoy. Tickets available from the theatre and they're also available from GR8 events. Kildallery Bingo is on tonight, 8 pm. The store in the Creamery Yard. Doors will open at seven, eyes down at eight. Their jackpot, 3,250 uh, euro. The Glen Theatre Drama Group are presenting Tearing and Dragging. Two-act comedy It's by Hank Regan. It'll be in the Glen Theatre in Bantier tomorrow night. And Sean Keane will appear in concert on Saturday, the 3rd of February. Bookings for both events are open at 029 
1839. And Clondrahad Defibrillator Committee, they're holding a fundraising charades night tomorrow night, 8 o'clock in the tavern in Clondrahad. Now they're looking for teams of four, 40 euro to enter, all are welcome. They describe it as a fun night guaranteed with music and food. If you'd like to pre-book a table for their fundraising charades night, you can 87 238-5112 Court today on C103 With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group They don't just talk the talk They walk the walk CMIG.ie And thanks to Jim by WhatsApp to say Ty Grind's shop in Newmarket Jim says I think sells milk in glass bottles Or well he used to anyway People are looking for milk and milk bottles. And somebody else says Galvin's Farm in Kilbritton. They also supply beautiful creamy milk in glass bottles. It's the only way you get that creamy milk, isn't it? It's from a small uh, dairy that's producing it in glass bottles. Thank you for that. I mentioned scams. And a listener says, hi Trish. Um, I got a text from Electric Ireland saying the way you are currently using your electricity at the moment, your estimated bill will be about €500. I deleted it thinking it was a scam. But I'm now wondering afterwards, if it wasn't a scam, was it a warning? If so, I'm now dreading my bill. I, I'm with Electric Ireland. I got an email and that's how they interact with me. If, if Electric Ireland interact with you by text, it probably was a text from Electric Ireland. I got an email actually from them about a week ago telling me much the same thing, that the way I'm using electricity at the moment, they're estimating what my bill would be. And I, I mean, I know that the next bill is going to be high because it's the one for December and January. It's always my highest bill. And I take it it's the same for everybody around uh, the country with Christmas and, and all of that and all of the cooking that you're doing. It is always the highest bill of the year. So, yeah, I'm expecting it to be high. But I got I did get a warning one halfway when sort of around the beginning of December, around the beginning of January. And I think they were saying already, this is what you've used up to now. If you use the same again, I mean, the only thing I thought of, well, I won't be using the same again because I won't be doing as much cooking. I won't have visitors who will be using the electric shower. So I'm hoping that it will even out a little bit. The only thing is if you will be due a electricity credit from the government on the 1st of January, you will get 150 off that bill if it's December and January. Some people actually will be getting two credits. The people that didn't get the first credit on the 1st of December because of the way that their bills, the timing of their bills, not everyone got the one on the 1st of December, which means your next bill will have a double credit on it. And I don't know if that's the case for this listener or not. But yeah, a €500 of electricity bill is a bit of a fright uh, to get. But yeah, I'm thinking that that's not a scam. That was just a warning from uh, Electric Ireland. And someone else says, uh, Patricia Ballydeheen, Mallow service station and I'm assuming you just you mean the garage at the top of Ballydeheen is it they sell those yellow film glasses by the counter where you pay for your fuel you know the ones that somebody is recommending that they're great for anti-glare somebody picked them up at the ploughing championships uh, a couple of uh, years ago thank you for that 0818 103 103 and then a call in from somebody saying are we having a bank holiday for St. Bridget's Day this year like we did last year. We we are, but it isn't falling on St. Bridget's Day and I know I had a text in earlier in the week and I just didn't get around to it. It was somebody asking the same question with St. Bridget's Day falling on the 1st of February, which it always does, uh, but the 1st of February being a Thursday, is the Thursday a bank holiday and it's not. Uh, what happens is St. Bridget's Day, if it falls on a Friday or a Monday, 
then it, it will be on the 1st of February. For, but for every other year that St. Bridget's Day falls on a Saturday, a Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday, thir- or Thursday, then it goes to the first Monday in February. So this year, obviously, St. Bridget's Day, 1st of February is a Thursday. So it's the following Monday is going to be the bank holiday. That is the 5th of February. I did see in Dublin, I mean, they have a big festival or they're planning a big festival that will run from the 1st right through to the 5th. And they're they're having a parade, a kind of a parade celebrating St. Bridget. So whether they're going to try and make it in Dublin, a parade a little bit like our St. Patrick's Day parade, only time will tell. I don't know what's going on here in Cork, if anybody's heard of any events to celebrate St. Bridget's Day. But St. Bridget's Day, our bank holiday for that weekend is the first Monday in February for this year, which is the 5th of February. Now, I mentioned McCroom, by the way, earlier when we were talking about the South Dock and it's an issue we will be returning to uh, next Monday. But I spotted a piece in the paper and I've mentioned already there's a number of uh, Cork schools doing their bit and flying the flag for the county at this year's BT Young Scientists and Technology Exhibition this evening. It's usually around six o'clock. They will be announcing all the winners and we'll keep our fingers crossed from all for all of the Cork schools. But I spotted that the McCroom Bypass has featured in one of the projects and it's benefited almost three quarters of the business in the town. It was a group of students from St Mary's Secondary School in McCroom and they investigated whether the McCroom Croom Bypass had benefited the town since it opened in December of 2022. And the students said traffic in the town was manic before the bypass, prompting them to see how the new road might have impacted local businesses and residents. And they decided to do it 12 months on. And what they did was they went out and they surveyed more than 200 locals. And they said what they were most interested in reading and hearing from the results of the survey was that 71% of businesses that they surveyed said there had been a significant increase in customers and in revenue. The majority of those travelling through the town now are doing so with the intention of stopping or going to do a little bit of business rather than up to this before the bypass. People had a tendency to drive through McCroom and they were either on their way to Cork City or on their way to Killarney. The students found the vast majority of locals, 84%, had their expectations met or exceeded due to less traffic, shorter journey times, noise reduction and booming businesses. While air quality in the town, this is a big one, that vastly improved uh, 53% drop in air pollution for the good people of McCroom compared to before the bypass opened. And for the locals whose expectations, the small number had not been met by the bypass, the most common reason included the limited number of slip roads off the bypass and also the absence of a hard uh, shoulder. So well done to those girls. And just staying on other Cork projects that I saw commentary on in the paper. There's a group of students from Maria Macalata Community College in Dunmanway and they researched the prevalence of vaping among young teenagers. And we know we have a problem with vaping with young teenagers and good to see teenagers themselves looking at the problem. The 16-year-olds set out to find out why so many of their peers were vaping. And although they had been educated on the health implications of vaping in secondary schools, 
they now believed that primary school children should also receive the same education and information. They said even the first years now in their school a lot of them were already vaping. They're saying they're seeing the evidence on the school buses. There's vaping going on in the bathrooms and outside uh, the school. And they're obviously seeing it at discos, uh, etc. But they said that for a lot of the first years, many of them had to have been vaping in the summer before first year. So the, the thing is, their thinking is they could have actually been vaping while they were still in primary school, maybe in fifth or sixth class. So they think education is needed there. Now they surveyed 400 students ranging in age from 12 to 18 and they went across the five schools in West Cork and one in Cork City and they found 30% of those had vaped and of those, 64 were regular vapers, while 47% had received their first vape from a, f- a friend. But the big worry was some 38% of the participants who vaped also smoked cigarettes, with 66% of those vaping said they vaped first before moving on to try cigarettes. And that's always been the worry with young people taking up vaping who had never smoked before. The students found peer pressure and attractive colours and flavours to be the most common reason for vaping. The students' main finding was that sport is a protective factor with more non-vapers playing sport while vapers have a tendency to be less uh, interactive. So well done to those uh, students from Maria Immaculata College in Domamay. And as I say, good luck to all of the Cork students. It is later on today uh, we'll discover who are the winners in Cork schools traditionally do very well in the BT Young Scientists and Technology Exhibition. We keep our fingers crossed for 2024. Cork Today on C103 With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy the insurance group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. A text in from listeners saying just a random question, seeing as you've mentioned St. Bridget's Day and the bank holiday weekend coming up on the first Monday in February. Will there be St. Bridget's Day cards available to buy like there are St. Patrick's Day cards? I have no idea, but if anybody spots St. Bridget's Day cards when you're out and about, please uh, let us know. Let's talk movies with Mark Malone. Good afternoon to you, Mark. Hi, Patricia. Okay, two movies for us, Priscilla and freelance. Let's take a quick trailer from Priscilla. You like Elvis Presley? Of course. Who doesn't? Who do we have here? Well, Elvis, this is Priscilla Bullio. Why don't you say maybe we got someone quiet? Just what is the intent here, Mr. Presley? What you got? Women throwing themselves at you. Why my daughter? I happen to be very fond of your daughter. Black hair and more eye makeup. I don't know if I like it. What do you mean you don't know if you like it? It's not like you imagine. There's a lot of rumors about you. Is there anything to it? Oh, I need a woman who understands that things like this might happen. Are you going to be her or not? Is there something you're hiding? I don't have a goddamn thing to hide. You have everything a woman could want. 
Okay, we obviously know what this is is about. I'm. I was hoping. I didn't realize this movie had been made. I was hoping. So please let this be a nice love story, and it just they just didn't work out. But parts of that sounds sounds a bit creepy. She was very young, wasn't she? She was only a teenager when she met. Alice. Yeah, they met in Germany when uh, he, of course, was in the military there. Uh, her father was in the military, so she was, and he was based in Germany as well. She was fourteen uh, when they met, and uh, he was famous at that time. He was very famous. I yeah. think he's about ten years older. I think so. He yeah. was about twenty-four, so he was still a very, very, very young man. But he was famous. Yeah. Yes, and, uh, you know, part of his team had this kind of, um, allegedly, uh, this kind of tradition of finding him girls, basically, and uh, they, he saw her, and so therefore they kind of worked a way um, uh, to try desperately to uh, get her to meet Elvis, uh, and uh, then for him to hook up with her, uh, much to her father's distaste, as you could imagine, but they managed to persuade him, basically, because uh, the, the thing about Elvis, of course, when he was young is that uh, he was not only very, very handsome, uh, but he was also very charming, and so he managed to kind of charm his way uh, into uh, not only the relationship with her but uh, with his family uh, as well. But as uh, the dad said in that clip he could have anyone why you know why a 14 year old girl I mean did he fall in love? It, he, this, it's a very very strange relationship well let's point let's uh, you know make the, the, the this is based on the Priscilla Presley book. It's called uh, yeah. Elvis and Me. So this is a very, very different telling of the the, the, the Elvis story. Okay. I should point that out. And if you're a big, huge Elvis fan, and maybe you don't want to know a certain kind, you know, the other side of Elvis that we don't know. Maybe you want to know about uh, the, the the Elvis that we saw singing and dancing, and uh, you know, and being a big, big star. And um, then fine, this might not be for you. But the reality is that uh, you know there was a darker side to, to Elvis, and we see it in this film because, of course, Priscilla Presley uh, lived with him and uh, had a baby with, with him for, for quite some time. Uh, so she is also a producer here. So she's very much giving her side of the story. Uh, a lot of it is kind of controversial. Uh, Lisa Marie, for example, just before she died, uh, heard of the book and uh, heard of the story and said, look, uh, this is not the, f- the father that I knew. And so therefore, uh, she was setting out to do her very best to undermine as much as possible uh, the film when it was released. But sadly, uh, she, she passed, passed away, away just, yeah. just before it was. So they do meet. They meet very, very, very um, young at a very, very young age. But there's no physical relationship between them. He invites her to stay at um, Graceland. And again, the, 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 he doesn't consummate the, the relationship at all until, in fact, they get married. Okay. And so she spends an awful lot of her time in Graceland on her own. And she almost feels like a prisoner there because even though there are staff, she's on her own for most of the time. He's off and uh, he's doing a lot of touring. He would come back and again, there would be no physical relationship between them, even though quite obviously but she was desperately in love with him although he constantly kind of said, yes, I am in love with you. But then she would say, but I've been reading about uh, you uh, with other women. He'd, he would kind of follow her off. At one stage, she says, what about you and Nancy Sinatra? Uh, what's going on there? And he said, oh, there's that, don't, don't worry about it. You know what I mean? Don't, you, you don't have to worry about that. And the other thing, of course, that there's a very interesting scene is that, you know, he was very, very much into his guns. And, you know, when he would come back from touring and he would kind of come to see her, he wouldn't bring her presents of perfume or flowers. He would bring her a gun. And there was a very interesting kind of sequence where she lines up all the guns that uh, he has given her. Of course, she had no interest in those guns whatsoever. The other thing, of course, is that uh, it also deals with uh, his kind of depression. And um, and I suppose in a sense, really, although they don't really look into it, the um, the life that he led, of course, which was very, very difficult. And uh, because being a star, you, he had a very, very difficult life. He couldn't just walk down the street uh, without people kind of screaming 
screaming at him. And he was quite depressed at times because he wanted to be a great actor. At one stage, he says, look, I want to be Marlon Brando. I want to be James Dean. Uh, but um, those were not the kind of scripts that he was being offered. And instead, he was making these kind of silly kind of musicals. Did you think he was a good actor? He was OK, yeah. I remember he made a film where he was a cowboy. And he was, kind of, he was actually quite good. I can't remember the name of it. But, it I, just, it was, it. but I think you're right. It was the scripts he was given. They yes. were all the, yeah, they yeah, were all the, the managers. Well. The women. But the manager as well would step in the way and he said, no, no, you, you have to be the kind of pop idol. Yeah. And the other thing, too, is that uh, as the career went on, the songs weren't as good as uh, they used to be. There is a, a scene where people are playing him songs because, of course, he didn't write his own music. And he's going, these are not, these songs aren't good enough. I don't like these. I don't want these. The other interesting thing, too, is that um, um, the Elvis estate um, said you can't use his music. So they can't use his music oh. throughout the film. So the director here, Sofia Coppola, what she did, her brother is in a band called Phoenix, I think. And they went in and basically they took songs from the 60s, remixed them with Elvis's voice uh, here uh, played by so you're, you're uh, Jacob Elordi, uh, who was recently in Saltburn, by the way. He was oh. the big, tall, kind of um, uh, good-looking uh, English guy. And he's kind of flavoured the month at the moment. He plays Elvis with his is voice. Is good? They re-recorded it. It, you know, it, it, uh, no, is he good as Elvis? Oh, is he good? Oh, very, very much so. Yeah, 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 he's okay, very tall, yeah. very good looking. So okay. he is, he is very good. Uh, Kaylee Spaney as um, as Priscilla is really, really quite extraordinary. She really is. Uh, the recent uh, Elvis film uh, by Baz Luhrmann was very, very kind of flashy and quite good. Um, but Sofia Coppola's director d- direction is very, very different. It's very understated, uh, and uh, she takes her time telling the story. And some people who didn't like it said, "Look, this is really, really boring." An hour in, all right, I did think, "Whoa, this has um, this has a very, very different pace than most films these days you know it's taking its time with the story it's not trying to be flashy it's not trying to be over the top uh, you know she does tend to make a lot of kind of small budget kind of uh, movies and um, in fact she didn't have the budget to actually tell the whole story that she wanted there were more and more scenes that she wanted to film she didn't have the money even though she's uh, Francis Ford Coppola's daughter she didn't have the money and uh-huh. so um, so yes I mean look again if, if you want to know the story it's an interesting story it's a fascinating story it might not be the story that you might want to know but I if know. you are I know, but it's it's her it's it's Priscilla's reality. It's what she lives through. Exactly, it's her story uh, yeah. of, of of the relationship, which was not always perfect, unfortunately. Okay, mark it out of ten. I'll give it seven. Seven out of ten. Okay, that and of course there's a, there's a I didn't read as I only heard about it this morning. Amy Wine. There's an Amy Winehouse biopic coming out in April. Have you seen that? Um, I've seen the trailer. The trailer, yeah. I have. Yeah, it, it looks fascinating. It, it looks interesting. Looks, yeah, yeah, that's going to be another great one. Okay, and then your second movie is Freelance. Yeah, this is on Amazon Prime. Um, so this is another bickering couple in the jungle movie. Okay. <laughs> We've seen so seen many of them. Yeah, you know, remember there was the last city was it with uh, Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum? Yeah. Uh, you know, recently there was the Shotgun Wedding with Jennifer Lopez as well. And it's almost as if they went into Chat GTP and said, "Give us a mix of those two movies set in South America," and it just spat out this thing. You know what I mean? The first twenty minutes are actually really quite, quite good fun. We meet John Cena. We hear that um, he is now a lawyer. He's got a kind of desk job which he hates because he was a spe- ex special forces operative which they all do tend to be these days and uh, so he's heading his life uh, he's then given the chance to uh, earn some money go to South America to uh, a land called Paldonia oh, <laughs> I always love it when they make up uh, you know states names they used to do that especially when they went to go into Eastern Europe and we're, we're going to Maladovia you know what I mean yeah. they would just make it up uh, anyway so uh, he meets up with this journalist and she wants to uh, interview uh, this dictator uh, the president of uh, Paldonia and he goes as her bodyguard once it's there, a coup happens. He happens to save both their lives, John Cena, that is. And uh, unfortunately, then the guys who hired him are also after him. Also, the rebels are after 
him and the other two, and so therefore he's got to save uh, the two of those. It's got a critic score of 6% in Rotten Tomatoes, Whoa. which is a very, very good example of, um, uh, you know, just how poor it is. It really is a shame because the first 20 minutes I thought were really, really good fun. But, I mean, I think as far as I know, the streaming services expect movies to be at least two uh, hours long. And there is a scene, for example, where they are running through the, the jungle. There's a very, very, there's a lot of very, very poor shooting by the bad guys here as well, which is always <laughs> helpful, I think. And, um, and the scene lasts for about 20 minutes and it could have been done in three minutes. But obviously they had to kind of extend the kind of running time. There's one good sequence with a helicopter which uh, worked very well. I like John Cena. I thought it was going to be really fun, but there's no chemistry between them in any way, shape or form whatsoever. I don't know why uh, the, the, the Alison Brie uh, plays uh, the journalist and it just simply doesn't work at all. And But some of the action sequences are okay, but there's an awful lot of talk. There's an awful lot of kind of political talk uh, in, in the film. And uh, so for me, it just didn't work, I'm afraid. Okay, all right. Mark it out of 10 then. Freelance? I'll give it four. Four, four yeah. out of 10. All right, listen. Um, and of course, since we last spoke with you, we had uh, Killian Murphy uh, picking up his Golden Globe and he's got a SAG nomination this week. Will he do the Oscar? Um, he could very much. I don't see why not. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know. He seems to be flavour of the month at the moment. For sure. You know, I think it'd be another big Irish Oscar year again yeah. this year. Whether or not we'll win or not, but the, you know, we'll have a lot of nominations. You know, you'll have Barry Gilgan, I'm sure, uh, and many others too. And uh, yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, and it's 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 great for the Irish film industry, of course, as well. Listen, thank you for that. Always a pleasure. We'll chat to you again next uh, Friday. That is Mark Malone, our movie reviewer, with Priscilla and Freelance, the two movies he watched this week. Okay, have I time? I do before. Ago, just let me wrap up on some of your texts uh, coming in. Hi, Patricia. I was listening to, uh, listening to you on my way back from Cork, in particular, in terms of night driving. And I'm not sure if any of your listeners have told you about the yellow tinted glasses. That is what I use. I got them in my local chemist shop and I find my eyes are not as affected by oncoming lights when I pop on these yellow tinted glasses. It's a bit like looking through the Lucasade bottle wrapper that we did when we were younger. You remember that you peeled off the plastic on the Lucasade bottle, which I'm sure is no longer there uh, and if you held it up you got that orangey uh, light yeah okay and yes somebody else has uh, suggested it as well but it was somebody who purchased them at the uh, at the ploughing championships but there's somebody saying they're available in a chemist somebody else spotted them in a garage and someone else has sent a link onto Amazon so they're available online uh, as well so uh, if people want to particularly uh, the ones that are you know the, the people who are telling us this morning that they don't go out at night and I, I don't want people to be uh, curtailed in their transportation and very quickly Hi Patricia would you announce that Bingo's on tonight in Mallow GAA Complex for 4,300 euro in 44 calls. It starts at 8. And thank you to somebody who very quickly uh, found an old newspaper from 1987, the prices of houses in uh, Dublin. Uh, 20,000 for a house in Dublin in 1987. We can only dream. That's where I leave you. Goodbye. Uh, I'll talk to you on Monday. Uh, thanks to uh, John Paul. Nick's up next. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMI 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.